the perfect pastor. Well, one person wrote on the perfect pastor, he preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. till midnight and is also the church janitor. And the perfect pastor makes a modest salary, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, donates a lot of his salary. He's 29 years old, but has 40 years of experience. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, but spends most of his time with senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps it himself seriously dedicated to the church. He makes about 15 home visits every day to the church council and committees, never misses a meeting, and is always, always busy evangelizing the unchurched. What do you expect of your pastor or pastors? Someone to hold your hand in the storms of life? Someone with an eloquence of a TV evangelist, with the humor of a stand-up comedian? Someone to take you through those passages of life, like weddings and funerals? Someone who's a great leader or a committee man? Someone who will commit hours to counseling I want to ask you the question, if, even if you're visiting, or whether you're here already, do you have someone in your life called by God who prays for you, who teaches the Word of God to you, who cares that you will grow in spiritual maturity, will fight sin, sin that is de- destructive to your soul, and who will pray and seek to help you live as a faithful disciple of Jesus, someone who will give an account for how he will watch over your soul. I just want to ask you, do you have a pastor? Expect of a pastor. Expectations can be tricky. They can be dangerous things, especially when they don't align between the pastor and a congregation or pastors and a congregation. And the Apostle Paul, in this letter of 1 Timothy, he makes it very clear that the ministry of pastor or pastors is important. So this morning, I want us to see the ways healthy churches behave as family, the family of God As I want to say this, they will value, they will follow, and they will raise up faithful elders and pastors in a local church. Now, if you take your bulletin, the back sheet where you can take notes, if you have one of those, you could view that as like a table of contents for this morning. And so what you see here is I have six things I want to go through, some of them very quickly and some a little slowly, but I feel like our church needs teaching from God's Word on this, and I pray that spiritually God would enrich us here. So, names, or what are the pastor and titles in the name of, or names in the Bible? Number, how many should a church have of pastors? And why should this matter? So what? I'm not a pastor. Why do I need this stuff today? And requirements. Who can be a pastor and elder? And job description, what do they do? And responsibilities of the congregation, 
What is your job in respect to the pastor or pastors? So let's start with names. In our church, here's some names. There's myself. If you look on the website, it will say Senior Pastor, Daniel Patz. Mike Dunford, Associate Pastor for Youth and Discipleship. Jay Caldwell, he's Worship Pastor and Elder. Gus Samaniego, he's Pastoral Intern. And I would say probably Future Elder, Lord willing, if we as a church recognize that in his life. And we have a group called Deacons, which we're going to look at next week. And some of them function in pastoral or elder-like ways, you'll see. And we have a, a former pastor, Russ Park, who serves here and teaches the Word of God and cares for people here. But what, that's not actually what I mean by names. What I mean by names is, well, look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. That's where I'm going to read in a few minutes, but we'll read the first verse right now. Paul says... The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't had any of you in the last weeks, months, or years call me Overseer Daniel. <laughs> but I would say that that is my office. He d- overseer literally means well, the Greek word is episkopos, where you get episcopal church. That's where, and you had bishops. Literally, it means bishop. So you could call me Bishop Daniel, but that would be really weird. <laughs> so don't do that. I like pastor or Daniel. One who, it really was an officer that watched over, over overseer. Okay, now if you skip two chapters forward, so do that in chapter 5, verse 17. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, who is he talking about there? The elders. Is that another group of people? And we would argue in the Bible, no. They're the ones who labor in preaching and teaching, especially those that labor in preaching and teaching. All elders are to be involved in that, but some are even devoted even more to that. And this is why, so now you have elders as a name. And though you might want, you can turn with me or you can just listen in. But on, if you were to go another two books to Titus chapter 1, verse 5, you will have Paul saying to Titus, he's going to say, appoint elders. There's the term elders again. In every town as I directed you. And then two verses later, he says, and he's talking about the same group of people, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Now see what's happening is here. Overseers are also elders. And elders are also pastors, a word that's not really used very much in the New Testament, but it is used a little bit in regards to preacher, pastor, teacher, And it means shepherd. We are called to shepherd the flock. So, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and there's a lot of passages this morning, Acts 20, 28, when Paul tells the elders, remember, so you've got overseers, elders, he tells the elders in Ephesus, the same church that we're talking about in 1 Timothy, he says, pay careful attention to yourself and to the flock. Now, wait a minute, to the flock... You're to pay attention to the flock. Who pays attention to flocks? Shepherds do. He says, 
Pay careful attention in which the Holy Spirit has made you, there's that word, overseers. Okay, so let me sum this all up. In case you were wondering, but maybe you weren't. The elders are the shepherd leaders of the church under Christ, who is the head. The term elder in the New Testament is synonymous. It's the same as the term pastor or where we get the word shepherd and also overseer or the rarely used bishop word. Elders are pastors and overseers within a church who are called to lead. They're called to shepherd. Okay, that's names. Now we move to number the next point, number. How many pastors, how many elders, how many overseers should a church have? Right now we officially have three that are recognized by the congregation with a pastoral intern. The New Testament doesn't say how many pastors or elders or church should have as overseers within the church. But let me just point this out. Every instance or reference to elders in the New Testament is always plural. There's more than one. So in Acts 14.23, they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting and committing to the Lord. Or in Titus 1.5, he says, appoint elders in every church. And you see that in 1 Peter 5 and Acts 15. See this pattern. And so I think it is God's will that a church would have paid or staff elders, you, you staff the church and yet you, you've freed me up to be able to serve the body full-time, that it would be, a church would have full-time and paid and volunteer pastor elders do the role of a pastor. And I'm thankful that we have several, and I pray that God, and I trust that God in the coming years will raise up other godly men within the church to continue on and to come alongside of us to shepherd the flock. Now, that kind of gives you a hint on what we're supposed to do. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Now, here's the, I want to move to this because you still might be going, oh, you're just talking about a pastor today. What does that have to do with my life? How, how is this going to help me tomorrow? You're talking about names in the Bible and number. What's, so I just want to answer this. Reasons why this matters or should matter to you and to me. Why is it so important that all of the congregation have a whole sermon from God's Word devoted to pastors, elders, and the church? Besides the fact that it's in the Bible and all of Scripture is profitable for, for our instruction and so that we would grow in the Lord... I want to give you a few reasons that I, I pray will help you listen to the rest of the sermon. First of all, because you are actually given responsibilities to the leaders of the church, the pastors, the overseers, the elders, and it's much more easy for you to embrace your responsibility when you know what their job is, especially when you're going to see that you are their job. And you are, how does that work? They have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. What's God, in, God got going on? What, what is his plan? Secondly, so that you can better pray for them 
Knowing their job is really helpful. I I was just reviewing a a note from one of you that I received a, a letter last year, and it just shared about how you pray for me in all these specific ways. What a blessing and what a gift, not only to me, which it is, but also to the entire church. I'm so thankful that I receive messages from you regularly that you're praying for me, and I pray that you pray for me and Pastor Mike and Pastor Jay and for Gus and for the deacons and for the leadership and for the congregation. If you love me and if you love this church and if you love Jesus, pray for us. And praying for us is actually in your best self-interest as well as glorifies Jesus. When you pray for, you're praying for somebody who's meant to care for you and help your spiritual life for eternity. Another reason why this should matter is that you need to know the biblical requirements of what kind of people should become pastors. And it's not just Lee or the deacon's job when you have a pulpit committee to find out who the pastors are or who, they, who you should hire or who you need to steer clear away from. It is the congregation's job to know what the Bible says are the requirements because in our church, we have a constitution, and I think rightfully so, that brings the final authority to the congregation in matters of deciding who we hire ultimately. And then so for you to do a good job of recognizing future leaders, pastors and deacons, to a vote for them, affirm them, and guard that we remain close, remain on the holding fast to the biblical standard, you need to know this. This is your job as a Christian it's a joyful job. It's what we've been called to. And I want, I, my job is to equip you to do your job towards protecting this office in the church. This is why every true Christian, I believe, should be a member of a body called to, hold, to have a shepherd and to hold that shepherd accountable in a loving, gracious way and see that their church holds to this word faithfully. That's why in some ways, as I preach and teach on this, my job is to equip you and the rest of us to hire other pastors or appoint, even from within this church, volunteer lay pastors, and even in my absence, find my replacement someday. I need to, in the next decades, prepare the church to look for the right kind of man that will lead and the men that will lead the church, and that's with, through the Word of God. A few more thoughts on why you need this, why this matters to you and me. One is, another is learning, I just want you to ponder this, learning what God has to say about pastors and elders should remind each of you as you sit here today that you need to be pastored. You need a shepherd in your life. You might feel like you don't need a shepherd. Some of you might feel like, I really need a shepherd. And some of you are like, eh, that's okay. I, 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 watch, I listen to podcasts. I do this. But God's word tells us that we are all sheep and we need to lean into what God has said we do need and trust that we need it. And to reject being pastored is to reject what Jesus provided for his sheep. This is is practical for all of us and should remind us of our need. And, And I just want to lastly say this. 
The New Testament makes it clear that you are to have a type of leader, leaders in the church, shepherds, pastors, that you will want to follow and you will want to imitate their life because they are godly examples. And so you need to know what type of person you are to imitate and follow. And so I pray that God would help us in this. So, who can be pastors, elders, overseers? Well, let's look there. We just began that. First Timothy chapter 3, will you look with me? Verse 1, the, he says this is a noble task. He desires a noble task. The one who aspires to the office of overseer, that person should desire it, not be forced into it. No elder or pastor should be forced into the role. They must follow the, the calling that God has put in their life, but they desire. And what we find here in verses 1 through 7 is a, a description of the type of people churches are to appoint. So let me read this. 2. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife... Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he must be, or he may be come puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be, thought, be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Now, I want you to notice that these requirements are present tense realities, not past. They are this type of person. And did you notice that this requ the requirement for an overseer gives us nothing about education or seminary degree? doesn't require an IQ level or a personality type. They have to be an extrovert. Elders need to be godly men of character. And Paul lays this out specifically in this passage in Titus 1. What is so exceptional about this list, Carson says, is how unexceptional it is in some ways. This list is remarkable by being very unremarkable. And this is what I mean by this. If you were to read this, every mark of, the, of a, that man or that person that is to be an overseer is required by every other Christian in the local church, in, in other parts of the New Testament. It's not like the pastor is, is, may, may not be a drunkard and he must be hospitable, hospitable, but you don't have to be. No, the congregation is called to the very same things as these leaders are to emulate. They are to lead in. There's show except for two exceptions. So what I mean to say this is the church is called to everything that's found right here. You're called to this, especially men are called to everything here, except you may not be, you don't have to necessarily be apt to teach here, it says, or a recent convert. You can't help that whether you're a new convert or not. But here, able to teach, and a recent convert, other than that, you're all called to that. Which means that what you require or expect of our, your pastors, you should also expect of yourself. Now this passage says, 
among all the things it says he must be above reproach. In fact, most as you study this closer, that could be an umbrella statement for all of the rest of the characteristic. He is above reproach. Or your translation might also say he's blameless. And it does not mean that he is perfect or sinless. If not, you would not or should not have hired me and I would resign immediately. But what it means here to be blameless or without reproach means you find a man or men, you look for men who are not to be found with a profound Here's a key word, profound, consistent flaw that everyone knows about but looks the other way. I'm not talking about how I do something in my sermons that are irritating. Please tell me that offline, okay? That's not, we're, that's not necessarily a profound thing, but we're talking about a character flaw, something that's wrong, that's, that's a sin that everybody kind of looks the other way because we don't want to confront the pastor, but he actually has a bad, he's a bad testimony and a bad example. Um, so... And then he works it out. Here's, here's examples. So in marriage, he is to be the husband of one wife. Literally, that means he is to be a one-woman man. Now, there are a lot of interpretations of what does that mean. Some say that means he must be married. Well, Paul wasn't married. There's a lot of pastors that weren't married. No one in the church ever said thought that this is, means he has to be married. So, or... Some have said that, not many, but could this mean it forbids marriage if the wife dies? He can't get remarried. Well, no, that's not what he means. Maybe Paul meant to be a husband of one wife. He can't be a polygamist. In that society, there were rich families where husbands had more than one wife. And that still goes on today in certain parts of the world, especially in Africa. And a pastor cannot be, and I think it would include that, that a, a, a pastor, if a man, you look for men, they cannot have more than one wife even at a time. But I think most faithfully, this passage is not saying whether a husband, whether he, it's not talking about his marital status, whether he's married or not, or even if he had been divorced or not. But is he a faithful to his wife in every way? Is, is he a one-woman type of man, maritally faithful? And, 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 and in that above-reproachness, Paul says he must be completely faithful in all ways, including sexually, including... In, he's not a flirt. He is, he is not a womanizer. He is truly, lovingly faithful to his wife. And he has proven that over a long track record of time. Then, he is to be marked by self-control. It says he is to be sober-minded. Uh, that It really means that he's to be clear-headed in his thinking. And he's to be self-controlled. He's not controlled here and there by just he does all that he wants to do. He, he does what he knows he ought to do. There's a control in his life. And he's respectable. He's well-behaved. He, he is the type of person that you would want to follow and you would be proud of. He, he is, and then it, it moves outwardly to how the gospel, in a sense, might expand. He is to be hospitable. It means he's not to be a hermit or a recluse. He must care about other people, welcoming strangers even into his home. He needs to care for other people because he loves them as Christ. He wants to serve them as Christ has served him. 
and he is to be apt to teach or able to teach. This is very crucial to their responsibility. He needs to know the word of God and be able to... He, he not only knows the word of God, but can practically explain it to others, but also is living it himself. He is not to be a drunkard or violent. He puts those two together. He must be controlled and temperate in all things, free from addiction, not gentle or, or not violent at all in any way, not rash, but because he's, he's going to face opponents, and so he needs to be gentle. Opponents that will oppose this book. He's going to face wolves that are going to attack the sheep. And so he needs to have a type of gentleness, but patience. Patience, not ready to pick a fight. And then it says he is not to be a lover of money. Money does not control an elder or a pastor. It, it does not drive them. That doesn't mean that he doesn't say, I have a need financially, but it's not why he does his job, nor is he driven by that. In fact, that is a mark of a false teacher. And he's going to warn that later on in this book. Watch out for them that think that religion is a means of gain. Watch out if you sense they're all about money. Kick them out of, of any type of leadership. Do it gently and patiently and carefully, I'm just saying. But if in the long run you discern that. He has to be generous. This doesn't, this, this means the church should care for this mindset, Lord, keep my pastor humble and we'll keep him poor. That's not what this means. And I'm thankful that that's not what this church, how this church views it. And then it says his home is to be his first church. He says he is to manage his own home well, his own household well. The church is to look and see, how has he led his family? Because if he can't lead his family, how can he lead in the church? It is to be a pattern of how he is serving, by how he is serving, and his children seeing how they respond to authority will help us see whether he is qualified to lead in the household of God. Which means that a church must give him time with his family, must demand his time with his family to make sure that he is caring and leading and serving them well. And I'm thankful that this church does and prays and cares for our families. It then says he's not to be a newbie. He's not to be a recent convert. Recent converts are wonderful. I hope some of you are new believers in Christ. And I hope that some of you, if you're not, you will be in the coming days, but they are not, he's saying you need to wait, take your time with them, lest they be ensnared quickly in authority or in, in prominence within the church, and they can't handle it, and they're spiritually tripped up, just like the devil was, in his wanting to be like God, and they are to be well thought of well by outsiders, meaning a good reputation. If you were to read in Titus chapter 1, 6 through 9, you'll read similar qualifications of the elder and the overseer. Now, when I go through this, I, feel, I sit here and I go, Oh God, help me, forgive me, help me to be a man of good repro- or of above reproach, to be blameless. Oh God, help me in these areas. 
Help me and my wife and my family. And I ask that you'd pray for us in this. And you pray for Pastor Mike and his family and Pastor Jane and his family and Gus and his family. And some of you who will someday in this church, I believe, be called up to be elders and pastors within this church. Whether you get paid to do that or not, you will do the role of a pastor. And we, we must pray for each other and, and pray for this. Now, now, let me move now to what we do. What is the job? I mean, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Paul doesn't spend a lot of time in 1 Timothy saying what an elder overseer does. But I want to highlight some of the things they do. Some, most of these things you already know, but I want to list them. He prays. Acts 6 says he will give himself to prayer. And so we, if we are elders worth our salt... If we, are, if we are pastors that are doing our duty, we will intercede for you. We will pray for you. We want God to work in your life to protect you, to strengthen you and grow you. So we must pray for you. And if we don't, shame on us. We must be prayer warriors, intercessors for you. And we are to minister this book to you. I pray that I'm doing that right now. We must do that during the week. We must do that on the phone. We do that in text. We do that in small groups. We do that in small settings over coffee or in our home. This book we must teach to you. And and Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Teach it in season and out of season. Watch your life and style and teach it. Three, we're to watch over the souls of the flock. The pastors are called to watch over your souls Protecting and caring for your soul, your spiritual life, your heart, your faith, your hope in God, your, your relationship with God and your relationship with sin. You're, you're growing to hate sin and love God more. We should care and watch over that. And another responsibility a pastor is to watch over his own soul and the souls of his family. Another is he's to lead, the the, the pastors are to lead the flock, equipping them to do the work of the ministry and to live out their mission. In addition, a pastor is called to provide as an example of the believer. Each one of our leaders, I would say pastors and deacons, are called to live in such a way that we would say, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. That means we're broken and humble, and when we confess our sins... We teach you how to confess our own sins and you, so that you learn how to confess your own sin. We learn to walk by faith. You're called to walk by faith. How to put your trust in God's promises when it's, life gets really discouraging. Help you see that as well. And lastly, the el- job of the pastors is to raise up future pastors, future elders within the church. It is to entrust to faithful men as 2 Timothy 2 says, so that they may teach others also. Now, I said, I, I just listed seven things. You probably didn't write it down. But I just want to read just two passages for you that say this. Listen to these. Here's my responsibilities. Elders, pastors, pay careful attention to yourself and to all of the flock. Are you in the flock that you're to be paid special attention to? In which... The Holy Spirit has made us overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. If you are part of the flock, you are obtained by Christ's blood on the cross, 
And Christ and God made a plan for you to have overseers, for you to be watched over and cared for by human shepherds. Here's one more. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are watching over your soul as those who will give an account. It says that leaders will keep watch over your souls and they're going to someday give an account to God for how they watched over your soul. So, so there's some, that's what we do. We pray and we teach the word. We are to oversee your soul. We are to watch our own souls. We are to be an example. We are to lead generally, equipping you to love one another and live out the Christian life. Now, the last thing I want to say is the responsibilities that you and I, you have towards the pastors. There's a lot more than this, but I'm just going to say it in two ways. Honor them and help them do their job with joy. Okay? With joy. Now, that sounds pretty self, you know, I'm I'm self-pleasing and, hey, look at me. You honor me. Honor me. I'm the pastor. That's not what I mean by that. I'm going to just quote Bible. Paul Paul said it in chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then he goes into Old Testament verse. The scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. He's saying, Honor them doubly especially those that you ask to do all the work in preaching and teaching, and you do that, and that you, the double honor means you show respect in a certain way because they are God's called man to watch over the flock. doesn't mean you give us strange titles. In fact, Jesus says we don't embrace strange, these fancy titles. I'm Daniel or Pastor Daniel. But, but you honor in that you, you want to you follow the word of God because you you salute the uniform of a shepherd of Jesus Christ. And, and it says the double honor means, and you support them financially well. The, the analogy was when an ox is treading out the grain, you don't muzzle it. Instead, it would allow the, the ox to be able to eat of the grain while it's trampling it out so that it could have... Wasn't this, in fact, in Corinthians, it says, isn't this what this was referring to? So that God's people would be supported in their labor, and I just want to pause here, I feel like you do really well of that. I feel so honored and blessed by this congregation. This is not a, oh good, now I get to pull this one out because you need this. I'm thankful. Keep honoring. Thank you. And I, I pray that God would give us a spirit of honor to all of the elders, all the shepherds God puts in this church. Now, here, here's the second one, is help them do their job with joy. I'm going to end with this. Help them do their job with joy. And this is what I mean by this. Hebrews 13, 16, and 17, especially verse 17. I re- just read it, but I'm going to focus on it th- in a different way. This, this sounds weird in America for any leader to get up and say, obey me and f- submit to me. So I want to say, obey me and submit to me insofar as I am telling you to obey God's word and to follow it. Don't obey me because I deserve obedience. 
Obey God's word and follow it insofar as I call you to not only obey it and live it out in your life, that's what I mean to obey it. And so another, so if I say obey it by worshiping God, come together, obey that, and obey reading help from one another to fight against sin and to trust his promises. And obey me as if I tell you to love one another as Christ has loved you and to give yourself for one another. And when I say pray for one another, I'm quoting from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. So obey God's word. And so help me do my job by listening to what I say. And that's what he means when he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So it means they are, have a bent towards trust towards their leaders, and leaders should give every reason to be respectable and, and to be followed by, because they're faithful to this book and they're not, they're not, they're, they're not taking, they're serving. It says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Here's your instruction. Here's your responsibility. Let these pastors do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So do what would be of real advantage to you, he says, and, and let him pastor. Let them shepherd you with joy and not with groaning. So... How are you doing? How are we doing? Are you letting us several churches when I was preaching at different churches called How to Care for Your Pastor for the Glory of God and the Joy of Your Soul? And I gave several things. I said, love your God passionately. If you want to love your pastor, love their God. And love, pray for their family faithfully and themselves. And follow them and feed on, with your pastor's teaching regularly. And give them help and accountability carefully. And provide for them. Invest in them generously. And trust them. And then forgive them graciously. Because they'll need to be forgiven. Because they'll drop the ball. And thank them. And speak well of them consistently. And love them and their families and their, and their church. If you want to love me, you love my church committedly. Oh, I pray that we would, all of us, help our shepherds. I need a shepherd. There are men in this church that are shepherds to me as I am to them. The pastors and the elders are shepherd leaders of the church who are godly examples to imitate by God's grace. We are stewards who will someday give an account for our work. We are elders who are met. We are devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer for the sake of of taking the people God has entrusted you, to us and feeding and leading and equipping and protecting all of the flock with the love of Jesus and because of the love of Jesus. He who is the great shepherd and overseer of our soul. And I pray that this message has driven our minds and our hearts beyond the earthly office of pastor overseer or senior pastor Daniel I pray that it moves us to something much greater. 
If you are here this morning and you do not know, this seems like a foreign message to you, the idea of a pastor and this God. There is a God who loves us so much that he is much better than any human pastor. He is the shepherd of souls that come to him in faith. He's called the good shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. And he intends to save all sinners who repent and believe in him and bring them into a family where they actually have these kinds of shepherds who are just like a shadow or they're just like a little imitation of the real thing and that's the perfect shepherd who watches over us forever. This message should move you and I to the reality there is a good shepherd who loves and cares for his sheep perfectly. He cares for every one of us. He knows us by name. He hears our our voice and we hear his voice. We come bumbling and wandering as difficult sheep and yet we follow him. Why? Because he's the faithful shepherd who cares for his sheep. The shepherd prays for his sheep, this true shepherd. This true shepherd Jesus intercedes for his sheep. This shepherd has not left his sheep alone but gave them the gift of the presence of his spirit. And he also gave the church for one another and shepherds to watch over. This shepherd Jesus always feeds his sheep and makes them lie down in green pastures. This shepherd protects them from wolves and will in the end defeat the greatest of the wolves, the great dragon, Satan, who Jesus triumphed over on the cross and rose from the dead. We have a shepherd, Jesus Christ, who purchased us sheep at the cost of his own life. That that we may love him and follow him and, and love what he loves and love his sheep together. If you don't know that love, we're excited to help you understand because he offers it to you as well. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we conclude this service. And we sing about how good you are I pray that we would rejoice in your goodness. I pray that you would help myself and Mike and Jay and Gus and other in elder-like capacity and the other men and women in this church that even show a shepherding care. I pray that we would be godly examples and that the elders of this church would be faithful as you've called them and we would be, re- we would be qualified as you've called us to. And I pray that you'd raise up others And I pray that you would help those that don't feel shepherded. I pray that they would come and and there would be comfort and there would be reconciliation. God, you would grow us as a people, shepherd in your love through the people you put into our lives. In Jesus' name.